So at your church, how do you navigate the Jesus is the only way idea? I don't know. I don't know that we haven't navigated that specifically. So I, I mentioned a few minutes ago that one of our taglines is that we're uniquely Christian, but not exclusively. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the ways that our value is that there is not one specific path or way to truth and to God. And so, yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I, it's kind of one of those questions that we even, like it's not even, a, doesn't really come out of our church. Really? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, think, I think when people find themselves at Sojourn, chances are they probably already left behind the notion of like having to say a sinner's prayer mm -hmm. in order to go to heaven when you die. Mm -hmm. Like that sort of um, theological approach to life I think people are probably already deconstructed, otherwise they wouldn't show up at Sojourn. Mm -hmm. Because I think our website is clear enough in many different ways. So, I, so that's kind of how, I don't really have a great answer as a church. How do I do it personally? How do I personally sort of navigate that? Um, you know, I, I, what you referenced there is John 14, 6. Uh, Jesus is saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. But when you put that in this broader context, uh, it, all sorts of interesting things come up, which is A, that Jesus was not talking about life after death. Mm -hmm. The guy rarely ever talked about life after death. Like, that is not a thing that was important to him. <laughs> it wasn't a thing that he seemed to be interested in. Uh, and, and so we do a lot of disservice to Jesus by making his words about life after death when they just weren't. I always thought it was so funny in like old church world where it was so heaven hell focused. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't worry about Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. like, Jesus was much more worried about Tuesday. <laughs> right? Uh, I need help with Tuesday. Like, yeah. I can't even think about heaven or hell right now. Yeah. But, so, so he's not even talking about life after death. He's, he's, um, he's having a conversation with his closest disciples about uh, his anticipation that he's probably going to be arrested and possibly executed by the state. Uh, and so he's, he's telling them about you know, where he's going that, that they won't be able to follow him. And they get confused by that. Like, where are you going? And so when he's speaking about the way, the truth, and the life, he's, he's, he's pointing to a, what he's been trying to teach them his entire ministry with them, which is there's a way of living in the world that manifests the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and, and that is what Jesus' life is about. Um, and that sort of being in the world does manifest God on earth. Mm -hmm. So it's not about life after death, it's about life here. And I think, yeah, you could, you can, you can trust in the way of Jesus. You can, tr you can trust his, uh, his teachings and his, his approach to life and people. You can trust that and walk in that and discover a flourishing, abundant life um, found in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a trustworthy way of being. And I think that's more what Jesus was telling his disciples, uh, that you can, you can trust in what I've been teaching you. Anyway, so for me, it's not, it's not even about having one particular way of how to get to heaven when you die. Like, that's just, it doesn't even fit that context of what, what's going on in that passage. See, what's funny for me is, um, 
I think when I start looking wider and in a different context, it's more that folks recognize the way of living, right? Because uh, like the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Bishop Tutu, Desmond Tutu, like they're best friends. They get along great. When uh, Thich Nhat Hanh read about Jesus, he's like, oh yeah, no, I totally get that, right? Like, yeah, and we meditate because we want a better connection to like a bigger thing. Like, you know, uh, that Living Buddha, Living Christ book was just fantastic. Like, it's funny because sometimes in what seems to be not the thing, we'll actually reference back to the thing if it's truth. Yeah. You know, like it's just shown in that way. But when you see the right type of folks that are really in connection with the higher, the better of us that is capable, they're not like, oh, not that. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I totally see what you're yeah. doing there. And yeah, I get that. I love that. Why wouldn't you do that? Like, I do it a little bit differently here, and you yeah. do it a little bit differently there, but we're, we have the same outcome, so we're doing something right. Yeah, and, and that way has been around since the beginning of time. And Jesus was just sort of this beautiful manifestation of it. Mm -hmm. Like, but to your point, I mean, that, it, it, those ideas and principles and values, they've shown up in all sorts of cultures and all sorts of places and all sorts of time through all sorts of people. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus is not the only one that has ever said, maybe forgiveness is better than revenge, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and yet he does say it. So I think, I think you can totally trust in Jesus to find a, a, a way of being human that um, is is the best way. Mm -hmm. And that way can be found in other cultures and other teachers as well. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's kind, of, that's kind of how I see it. So um, it's not to take anything away from Jesus, but I think a lot of people, they do start to freak out. Like, no, 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 he's gotta be better than all the other ways. <laughs> right. Um, and I get I, I get that impulse, because that was me for most of my life, yeah. um, that he has to be better, different, and unique. But I, I don't know that even even, even when Jesus was walking around, he oftentimes was like, whoa, 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 don't, don't worship me. Don't worship me. Like, follow me. Yeah. Don't worship me. Follow me, which is like, do what I do and, and, and trust in sort of my way of being in the world. Don't worship me, because when you worship me, you put me at, at a distance, and now you're disconnected from actually having to do the things that I do, because you can just, so don't worship me. Yeah. Don't follow me. So I think we, we find ourselves in, in Christian churches worshiping Jesus when we should be following him. Well, and I think the thing about Jesus that's special too is he, when he says follow me, it's not because like, follow me. It's he's walking this direction. And he's like, I'm going here too. So don't necessarily follow me, but I'm on this path and I might be further along the path, but you're not following me and I'm discovering the path. There's this path I'm on that I'm walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So follow me to this thing. Because I think when we talk about leadership stuff, it really gets confused with people versus ways or values or beliefs that are bigger than themselves. Uh, you're trying to walk the thing that they're attempting to do themselves. Yeah, I like how you said that way, that way's been there. And Jesus was on it. So when he says no one gets to the to go back to that, no one gets to the Father except through me, mm -hmm. it's almost the same, not through me, but through this way that I've been showing you, which uh, there are all sorts of ways to get on that path, so yeah. to speak. Well, one of the things I really love too that I wanted to make sure we talked about as well is you bring a multiplicity of things and notions into your church, what you believe and do. You're the only church I've heard talking about nonviolence. The vulnerability stuff that you're doing when you talk, I think you've mentioned Brene Brown before. Multiple times. Yes. Same uh, uh, and then, uh, you know, like you're 
Two, your church is also more of a white space, right? But you've talked about Black Lives Matter. Um, you're bringing all these different things in and talking about it in a space where you could have, well, some of it makes sense, right? Like with their wholeness and vulnerability, right? Like why would, you know, nonviolence, it can seem a bit abstract uh, to bring it into that space, but you find relevance in it and you're willing to share it. And Black Lives Matter technically, you know, might not belong at all, mm -hmm. but you still choose to bring that stuff in. What are some of the hows and whys when you use these eclectic things and you bring them in? What leads you to do something? Yeah, I remember I remember reading a, a book by Howard Thurman about five years ago. Jesus the Disinherited, or oh, I forget the title of it. But Howard Thurman was, uh, was this old-timey civil rights activist guy. And this little book raises the question over and over again. If the gospel doesn't have an actual impact on people's life right here and now, then what good is it? Mm -hmm. And I remember reading that, and Howard Thurman is an African-American, and uh, so he was basically advocating for that the gospel needs to be making a tangible difference in people's lives, otherwise it's more good as it. Uh, like you said, I want to be more concerned about Tuesday than yeah. about heaven or hell. And that, I think, was one of the uh, pivotal moments for me in saying, okay, if, if I'm going to be about Christianity, then it has to, it has to make a real-world impact on people right now who are, are on the margins, who are uh, disenfranchised, who historically have um, experienced uh, oppression. Uh, I think about Gustavo Gutierrez, sort of one of the founders of liberation theology. Uh, he talks about God's preferential option for the poor, which is to say that the divine um, seems to have a, a play favorites when it comes to those who have power and those who don't. And so when Kate and I started Sojourn, we knew that we had to build a community that cared about the poor, that cared about the outsiders, that cared about the oppressed and the marginalized. Not in a way that got them to come to church and save their souls, not that sort of caring, yeah. but in a way that said, we want to restore your humanity and your dignity. And we actually think that the, the, the Christian gospel can be the means to do that, mm -hmm. uh, to restore people's dignity and worth. Um, so yeah, so for us to talk about Black Lives Matter, that seems to be the the only option, as far as I'm concerned, from a Christian perspective. Like we, if, if you call yourself a Christian and you're not um, shouting from the rooftops that Black Lives Matter, then I question your credibility as someone who's a witness to Christianity. Because Christianity has to be looking to the margins and looking to the people who are um, not being uh, cared for or giving justice and you have to be advocating for them. Mm -hmm. So that's why we march in pride parades. That's mm -hmm. why, uh, so the nonviolent series, for us it was Jesus seems to be an advocate for a nonviolent approach in the world. Mm -hmm. The cross seems to be the place where Jesus opts out of the cycle of violence. Mm -hmm. um, and that isn't just about world wars, that's also about how we interact with one another on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and so having a nonviolent approach to life barista at Starbucks to the person driving you crazy on the freeway. That that matters, I think, and changes how the world is now. So anyway, yeah, I think if, if we're not about those things as a church, then turn in your car and like stop calling yourself a Christian because I don't know that, that <laughs> I don't know that, that you can be a Christian and not care uh, for those things.
Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> that sounds a little harsh, but that's how I feel. Well, we're going to talk about that in a second, but I want to hear first, how how is that stuff perceived when you bring it up? Like, your congregation, for me, is kind of hard to read. For me, in my Christian walk, I need to hear messages that come from a space of privilege and power, because I have that, right? But then I also need to hear messages of oppression and overcoming, because I have that too, you know? And there's an interesting mix. Like, the reason why I listen to both you and the Harlem churches because I get like both, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's fantastic because it pushes me on both areas like to get better and find my balance and stasis. Um, how's it received when you bring these things up, these ideas, these notions? Usually really well, I think, because I think Kate and I are tapping into, uh, in many ways, like the zeitgeist of, uh, of, our, of our era where people want to figure out how to leverage their own privilege for this sake mm-hmm. of others. Or at least people wind up at Sojourn do. Uh, that being said, you know, we made some commitments early on in our organization to, for instance, talk about Black Lives Matter. And we lost some people over that. We lost some um, white men who felt like every time we talk about Black Lives Matter or every time we talk about patriarchy, we felt like we were blaming them. And, you know, part of my response is, well, that's an interesting reaction. So maybe you should sit with that and, and wonder why that's coming up for you. And your other reaction is, well, no, it's not you, but it is you, so... You're living it makes me laugh with that. It's, it's almost like the notion that, like, you know, Steve <laughs> couldn't reproduce patriarchy yes. on his own, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Steve's fault. Come on, Steve. Um, so, yeah, even though we are a progressive church, we've had people leave because we came down too hard on Trump when he became the president. <laughs> you know, we were pretty outspoken that we... We resist this presidency, and we are not okay with the things that he's bringing into the White House in the country. And we've had people that have left because they want a more balanced approach. And I, I, get, I get it, but yeah, we're probably not the community for you. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, overall it's received really well. I think people are hungering for ways to be in the world that are about peace, and about justice, and about reconciliation, and about love, and about inclusion. They're hungering for that. Uh, and so to provide a community of people that are all chasing after that and they can build relationships with authenticity, like people eat about man. They love it. That's good. They love That's it. really good down here. So second to last thing I want to talk to you about is so talking a little bit about Christian privilege, but almost from a Christian way of thinking. I'm kind of wondering if there isn't a need for a Christians for Christians campaign, right? I'll need help remembering where it comes from, but the the notion is is uh, Jesus says there's going to be people that you say my name, you talk about me all the time, and then it's going to be time for me to meet you, and I'm going to be like I don't know you, yeah. and I don't know what you're talking about, and I don't know what the heck you think you're doing. Yeah. And we talked about like Pence before we started, right? Talking about like uh, Jeff Sessions, you know, when he quotes the Bible, yeah. like <laughs> Team Romans. You went you went Team Romans on that. You know, like, I'm worried about a lot of folks later when they're trying to go back and they're going to be like, hey, I've been a Christian all my life. This is what I've done. I've been a church the whole time, right? And Jesus might be like, I don't know you. Yeah. And I don't see evidence of you being walking that thing. Because yeah. sadly, I feel like when I look at things, and I could be being too critical too, I just don't see a lot of places and spaces living 
the spirit of life that Jesus was living, you know? Like, I don't see Christians flipping money tables. You know, I don't see Christians challenging those in power reproducing notions over and over again. Like, I don't see Christians advocating for guns. Like, that doesn't make sense, right? Like, guns specifically? Like, you think Jesus liked guns? But uh, that idea of trying to use Christian thinking, Christian notions to reframe things and ideas in the world, because when I see folks that like think and feel in the way that we do, I just don't see them challenging like the greater Christian whole. Yeah. Um, and not that I want to like be seen as a select whatever. I've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. I've got plenty of flaws and. I love and appreciate the people that show them to me because I want to do something about that stuff because I want to live better. But uh, where are you at with that? And what do you think is like the role of like a church like yours in talking about that stuff? Yeah. So one of my favorite ways to talk about privilege, which is what you're getting at here, is uh, there's a story in Luke's Gospel mm-hmm. where Jesus and his crowd, his tribe, are walking through Jericho. And uh, there's a blind man inside of the road thing. Mm-hmm. And he shouts out. Um, he somehow discovers that it's Jesus that's walking by. And at some point in his life, he's heard that Jesus can do some pretty awesome things. So the guy probably thinks, oh, maybe I can get some healing coming my way, or at least a couple of coins. And so he yells out, uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he starts shouting out, trying to get Jesus' attention. And his disciples uh, go to the man and, and they say, hush, be quiet. Like, we're trying to, trying to get where we're going, you're, you're, you're no way you're being distracted, be quiet. Mm-hmm. Which just makes the man shout even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Mm-hmm. And finally he's able to get the attention of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And at this point Jesus turns uh, and, you know, he could have done a couple things. He could have just shouted back to the man uh, and said, yeah, what do you want? You know, and just had this long distance conversation. He could have probably just intuited that the man wanted some healing and maybe Jesus could have done some long distance healing. Because in many gospel stories, he didn't actually have to be physically present with the person. So he could have done some long distance healing. But what he does, I think, is really fascinating. And it's, it's, what, it's, what is, it's what drives me in my approach to my really life's work. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I do own, I'm the owner of white privilege and straight privilege and male privilege. And as you said, Christian privilege. Um, what he says is he turns to his disciples. And he says, uh, go get him, bring him to me. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that interesting? Because it's the disciples who just moments before had restricted access to this man, to Jesus. The disciples are the one that built the wall. They created the barrier that kept this guy on the outside. Mm-hmm. They marginalized this man through their own uh, volition. And Jesus said to them, you were the one that was responsible for making him on the outside, it's up to you now to go get him and bring him to me. Mm-hmm. You built the wall, you need to tear it down. Mm-hmm. For me, that is a, um, I, I look at my own privilege and I say, yeah, white men uh, have created a lot of marginalized people. We have created a lot of barriers for people, whether it's just access to basic human dignity and rights, you know? Uh, through slavery, through patriarchy, um, or whether it's through sort of uniquely, uh, or sort of a Christian way of keeping people on the outside and saying, you know, you have to conform in order to receive communion, you have to have certain uh, doctrinal beliefs, you have to live a certain way. Uh, we keep you, we have kept people on the margins. So, 
for me, as an owner of all this privilege, I'm like, okay, I'm the one that broke the damn thing, it's up to me to fix it. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to go out and now, uh, and be intentional about finding people on the margins and saying, yeah, I'm sorry that you have been ostracized and demonized and marginalized. Please, if, if you're willing, uh, come and eat, because uh, there's a party going on, but we can't start until you get here, like we need you here. Yeah. So that's that's rowdy what I do with my privilege is I recognize um, that if I'm a part of any people group that has helped build the wall to keep people out or or created this this Christian narrative um, that has nothing to do with Christ as you mentioned uh, then I need to be a part of, of creating the solution and tearing it down. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I've been. In my own work in Phoenix, like I've been asked to speak at different Unitarian churches, uh, going there and talking to them about certain things, and it's hard because uh, Unitarians, it's really hard to find like a space where they'll land on something pretty hard. Yeah. And you know, I'll talk to them and be like, "Look, you know, you have a lot of Christian traditions, and uh, there's stuff that you can do with your Christian privilege. You know, yeah. you can stop the cycle of like systemic oppression. Mm -hmm. uh, you can." Go spaces and show up with your bodies in places where people need you to be. One of the stories I like to tell is um, Michelle and I were going to a uh, mosque. They were there were a group of people that were trying to interrupt Friday prayers, like I think in 2014. But the guys all had guns and stuff, right? And they're standing outside the mosque, and they're uh, you know just intimidating them, showing up, right? And I'm like, that's not cool. That's horrifying. So. Uh, we get invited uh, to go and show up and be there, right? And the goal is to just be smiling, happy Christians, being like, hey, sorry about them, but like, welcome to church. Like, welcome to mosque. Welcome to your time with God. I love you. Come do your thing. Because uh, we wanted to be that thing. But it cost something that day. You know, like, they had guns. Uh, and on the way there, there, so we knew that there were white extremists, white terrorists there. And on the way there, we heard there might be reports that there could be potentially Islamic terrorist folks showing up too. And we have a moment where uh, me and Michelle and Doc, he's like the guy driving the car, like, oh, what do you want to do? And I'm like, look, I don't know. I, I mean, like, I feel like if we die there in that space, then we're probably all right. You know, like, there's probably worse ways to check out. Uh, but then also thinking non-violently, like, there's going to be something about my death that makes a difference. If I do die there, I'm not rushing towards that thing. And it's funny because sure. uh, Michelle said, if I die, my parents are going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so pissed that I chose to do this at this moment. But I mean, like, that's the living it part, right? Uh, and it's not like you can do that every other week. You know, those op options and opportunities don't exist very often. Yeah. But I also don't think people look for them either. You know, there's a place and space to use your body and your voice and your privilege uh, to make a difference. and. Sadly, I don't know that the, the folks that were there like, did a lot. They just shouted at the other people, and I was like, that's not what I came for. Mm -hmm. Like, I wanted to just be smiling and say, I love you, you know, like, welcome to your mosque. Yeah. But I think there needs to be a lot more of that stuff, like that whole Christians for Christians campaign. I don't know how to do it, yeah. uh, but I worry a lot, you know, because uh, there's some, I mean, you've met them, right? Good-hearted, wonderful like people that are going to church forever, but then there's just weird stuff that keeps getting said, mm -hmm. and it kind of poisons people's thinking and dogma. Yeah. Uh, and I just don't know how to break it or off that stuff. So, 
So the last question I want to ask you is, so you've been living this life a while, like the making a difference for other people, the showing up, having uncomfortable running people out of your church with Black Lives Matter and Trump stuff. It's not easy. There's no way you can say it is easy. Like there's no easiness in it. But there's something about it. Why do you keep doing it? Why do you keep showing up? Why do you keep pushing? Like, you know, next year you're gonna think of another really like uncomfortable thing that you gotta talk to your congregation about. They're gonna be like, oh, Coley? Like, I don't wanna talk about that. Um, But you keep showing up. Like, you keep getting fired. (laughs) You keep uh, progressing and moving in this direction. What is the thing that makes you do it? And how do you think you've improved as a person because of it? Yeah, why do I keep, yeah, so, Part of it goes back to what I was saying about um, privilege and, and feeling this responsibility to try and undo some of the damage that either I've done personally because I've been a part of many of those systems or at least um, my people <laughs> have been a part of So part of it is, is just a sense of responsibility, but that alone isn't enough to carry a person because eventually the energy of, of duty runs out. So. What, what gets coupled with that is not only do I feel responsible for that, but I, I genuinely believe in people's potential to thrive as humans. Okay, I, like I believe that, that life is meant to be lived fully awake and that moving towards flourishing and abundance uh, and wholehearted living is, is a, in some sense is what it's all about. And it's not that I have the answers for that, but I found some things that have worked and, and I'm committed to continuing to find out things that work. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that I can um, help move others in that direction and other people find, whether it's uh, freedom or uh, whether it's inclusion or whether it's um, just finding life more alive and more awake. And it's just good, good work that gets me up in the morning. It's really, it's really even hard to, um, it's hard to even put words around. It's just that's what makes me want to keep going, is knowing that uh, there are people that can come more awake and I can be a part of helping wake them up. Mm-hmm. I can help lift the weights from them. I can help. I can help. I can do what I can <laughs> with 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 the gifts and the talents and the energy that I have. So to think of an alternative of, of just you know clocking in a nine to five job, it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but for me that's uh, I don't think that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I'm so with the Colby you used to be before you're doing things and the Colby that have been doing these things now, right? I know you don't know exactly shit. I don't know exactly who I am. Yeah. But you know who you were and you know where you're at ish, right? Mm-hmm. So how are you different? How are you better? Um, how am I better? Well I'm less judgmental. I think that goes without saying. Uh, I'm less anxious about having the right answers. So I used to be super neurotic about having the right answers and, and just being right about all things uh, and I would consequently I would hold my beliefs super tightly and get really afraid when people would ask questions because that would jeopardize my um, what I thought was my standing with God which I thought was my eternal salvation so I'd hold on to these things really tightly and now I'm just far more relaxed and loose about it so if someone has a different belief or a different idea to me it really doesn't matter it's not a big deal mm-hmm. because no longer do I believe that the most important thing to God is what a human believes that's just, I don't know how we got there, but somehow we got there where we think the most important thing to God is what you think about things. Uh, but that's just not who God is. Yeah. Um, certainly not who Jesus is. And if we 
believe the writers of the New Testament when they say that Jesus was the express image, the exact representation of God, then yeah, we have to say, okay, maybe God isn't super concerned about what we think or what we believe. But that used to be me. I used to be super concerned about that, and now I'm far um, less anxious about that. So less judgmental, less neurotic and anxious about my beliefs and other people's beliefs. And I think, but I think there's still a through line there because the old Colby was super concerned about getting people into heaven, but that was a heaven after we died. The, the Colby of today is still super concerned about people getting into heaven, but that heaven is a here and now, like abundant, flourishing life. Yeah. And I think that is available to people now. Yeah, so that, that in many ways, that's still the same. Still the same person. That's great. So uh, last thing, uh, you've written a couple books. Uh, well, you've written a book on Clobber. That's right. Um, you're gonna be working on a new book. Uh, yeah, should be signing about... the contract this week, actually. That's great. Yeah. About this concept of hamartia. Can you give me like a quick description of what this hamartia is? Oh man, quick, a quick description of hamartia? Well, you're gonna have to. Like the more, the more and more you talk about this thing, you're gonna have to find a way to condense this notion. Yeah. Because I know it was two sermons it for was... you. Yeah, so, and it's going to become a book. It's going to become a book. So, um, I think the elevator pitch for, for this. So, in the New Testament, the word most often translated as sin mm -hmm. is the Greek word hamartia, which most people who have been around church world, like, they've heard that. And hamartia means to miss the mark, mm -hmm. uh, just sort of literally. And so, what I discovered, though, through kind of a deeper dive into this idea of hamartia, what it means to miss the mark. But essentially, my, what I suggest is that missing the mark is not a result of doing something wrong or doing something bad or being immoral, but it's a result of having a gap in our knowledge. It's a result of uh, essentially of ignorance. Hmm. Um, so you can imagine I missed the target because I didn't know where the target was, or I missed the target because I didn't know uh, I didn't have the proper training on how to like fire my arrow at the target, and so. When we ham our tea, when we sin, more often than not, it's it's as a result because there's something in us that we were disconnected from, uh, whether it's from ourselves or from other people. And so sinning is not uh, like an immoral act against uh, a real moral God, but it is acting from a place where we're disconnected from our identity as little children of God. Uh, and it's treating people uh, in a way that we are ignorant of maybe their story and their background. So. Yeah, so I hope that the, the book, when it comes out, you know, again, I gotta get through book number two first. This will be book number three, hopefully. Yeah. I'm hoping that the book will reframe for people what sin is and allow them to reclaim it in their own life. Be like, yeah, I do sin because I act out of my own ignorance. Um, I act out of being dis disconnected from myself. Um, yeah, I do that. Uh, and we can reclaim that sin, that word sin, in a way that I think hopefully liberates people. And I've never seen people react to my sermons uh, like I did to those two sermons of Hamilton. So if you're listening to this, uh, I think it's in January of 2018 at the Sojourn Grace podcast. There's, there's, it's, a, it's a part one, part two sermon on Hamilton. And it's, yeah, I'm glad you liked it because a lot of people really connected with it. Yeah, it was really special. Because uh, even if I just think distracted, you know, like you missed the mark because you were distracted. Sure. Right? Of course that makes sense. Yeah. Like it wasn't an intentional wrong. It was just, you got caught up and you forgot what matters most, and then yeah. you just missed, you know? Uh, and and the funny thing is, like, missing has its own, like, it's not like you need an extra 
punishment, <laughs> you already missed. Yeah. You know, and that caused the pain and difficulty of the missing. Yeah. Right? yeah. And the response should be compassion. Right. No. I've missed too. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah it's yeah. okay. Uh, let's get you back to connected. Yeah, let's that's get right. you back yeah. to to so you don't have to miss anymore. Yeah. You did this thing not because you're a bad person, but because maybe you forgot. Right. Or, or because or you, you didn't know. Nobody didn't know. ever told that's you. That's right. You were raised and you were trained in an environment. Uh, to think of a certain way, so no wonder you did that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I have to. You have to hold all that from people. You have to. You have to give them uh, some level of compassion, which says, "Oh yeah, I guess I get why you would act that way because your brain has been basically wired to do that." Um, so it lets you have more grace and compassion for people when they sin and they hammer to you. Yeah, I really jive with it because I see racism that way. I see violence that way. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wants violence in their life. Yeah. No one. No one wants racism. No one wants sexism, patriarchy, like white supremacy. I mean, it does give you stuff. Like, it's funny. I tried to describe this to someone. Privilege is knowing what to do on the elevator, right? Like, you hit the button, you know how it works, right? It works for you. It doesn't, like, you know, that elevator maybe doesn't work for everybody else. But when you give up your privilege, um, you go from, like, a regular boring elevator ride with people, you turn around, and you face the door. But when you know how to use your privilege on behalf of other people and create belonging in special places, now like every elevator ride is like when the door opens and your best friends are there. Like what a different ride, right? Like you're like, what? It's one of my favorite people here. Uh, and that capacity exists for all people at all the time. And I just don't know that they know that stuff. So when you, when you said that stuff, I got really excited too. So as far as uh, connecting with you, how can they connect with uh, the podcasts? Um, where can they get the book? Um, I think you have really valuable things to share, and I have no idea who listens to me. Uh, so potentially they can get connected to you and do more good stuff. Yeah, the easiest way is to go to colbymartinonline.com, and that's just kind of the hub for blogs that I've written, books, podcasts, sermons, all the things. So you can follow me online at Colby Martin on most of the major social media platforms. Yeah, and if you're stuck with a church home, uh, Sojourn Grace Collective is, is there, uh, and if you get to visit, you get to come to a wonderful San Diego mm -hmm. uh, and part of that community too. But uh, I just want to deeply bow and thank you uh, for the time and opportunity to connect. Um, I consider you a really good close friend, even though we don't get to sit down and talk very often. I get to hear you a lot, but uh, I appreciate the work that you do, uh, and I appreciate just you in general. So thank you. Thanks, man. Of course. Thank you.